0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: It says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah says, look, guys, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. And he says, why should I stop this and come down and talk to you? And as I was reading this earlier, I kept thinking of that lady who they caught doing the commercial, and she said, ain't nobody got time for that. That's essentially what Nehemiah is saying. You know, I don't have time for you guys. I'm doing a great work for God.
0: In your walk with Christ, have you ever had to force yourself to do the work of the Lord? Have you ever felt disconnected or uninspired to keep your vigor for Him? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you should strive to be wrapped up in God's work. There will always be excuses the devil drops in your path to keep you from furthering God's kingdom. Don't let them bring you down and stay true to God's mission, proclaiming the gospel for all to hear. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter six, as he begins his message, the warfare of distraction.
1: We're going through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, There's a man named Nehemiah and he and the rest of the Jewish people have been exiled in Babylon for 70 years. And when they were released and able to come back home to Judah, they were going to try to rebuild the temple and it was a daunting task. The walls were torn down everywhere and Nehemiah ended up with a a pretty cush job. Nehemiah ended up being the king's cupbearer. So he was a cupbearer for a pagan king, which meant that he would drink before the king drank and make sure the king wasn't going to be poisoned and die. And in chapter one of Nehemiah, some of his countrymen came by and he said, hey, how are things in Judah? And they told him how terrible things were and how the walls were broken down and everything had been burned to the ground and the walls were all this rubble. And Nehemiah was just grieved to hear the condition of Jerusalem, the the state that things had been left in. And so he did. We learn in chapter one, what do we do with grief? What do we do with difficulty? He, He took that burden to the Lord in prayer and he prayed. And he fasted. And one day as he came before the king, he looked somber in his face. And the king said, what's wrong with you? You're not really supposed to be somber in the face of the king. And so he told him what was going on at home. And the king said, well, what do you want from me? And Nehemiah did something that we're going to see again tonight. His knee-jerk response is he shoots up these prayers to the Lord. That's just his, It's like it's his knee-jerk response to difficulty. Let me pray. And before he answered the king, as far as what does he want, he prayed. And then he said to the king, I want permission to go to rebuild the walls. I want provisions uh, for the materials we need to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And I want protection along the way. And God gave him everything that he asked for. And in addition to that, Nehemiah was made governor. And so as the, you know, we we saw that as soon as Nehemiah started moving to do the work, that some enemies started to compile themselves. And so there was Sambalad and Tobiah and they were very upset that someone had began to seek the, the well-being of Jerusalem. And we saw all the way through. You can go on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org or our app, uh, the Calvary Chapel Inglewood app. And you can listen to the other Bible studies on Nehemiah. But the enemies have grown. It was first Sanballat, Tobiah. Then it was Sanballat, Tobiah and the Arabs. Uh, then it was a whole army and, and, and um, a group of people that have come. And so along the way of building this wall, Nehemiah's had tons of warfare and the enemy has come at him in a lot of ways. The enemy has come with discouragement at one point. The enemy attacked. The enemy attacked him in another times by just constantly threatening him, or you know, getting in, the, trying to get in the way of what was going on. And we see that Nehemiah just kept going; he didn't stop. I titled the chapter "The Warfare of Distraction," and we're going to see that the enemy tries to distract Nehemiah from the work it's almost finished. And so for anybody that's listening that would say, you know what, I get distracted easily. I'm, I am prone to be distracted. I get distracted very easily. So if I want to do something, I got to get alone. I got to have nothing to look at. I want to focus because I get distracted very easily. And here, one of the tactics of the enemy to stop people from doing the work that God has called them to do is distraction. So um, we'll see. We'll learn how to overcome that with God's help. So now with that, Nehemiah chapter six, verse one, it says, Now it happened when Samballot, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. I want you to notice that when the enemy gets stirred up is when they hear that the work was going to begin, when they hear that the work was progressing. And this time it says when the enemy heard that I had rebuilt the wall, the wall's up. He's, I just got to slap the doors on and finish this thing up. But the walls are up. And when the enemy heard that the work has not just made great progress, it's almost finished. It was going to tell us in a minute what they what they decide to do. I just want you to know that if you're doing any kind of a work for God and there's warfare, there's attack, there's things that come against you. You want to see the attack of the enemy as an indication that you're on the right track. Uh, that you're doing well, that you're making progress. And the more progress you make, the further along you get. There's not going to be less adversaries. There's going to be more adversaries to the work that's being done. And so Nehemiah has made great progress, but he's also, the number of enemies has accumulated. If you notice here, it says Sambalit, Tobiah, Gershom, and then it says and the rest of our, it didn't even bother to name or list the rest of them. It's, it's probably, you know, more than they bother to name at this point. So more than there were in the beginning. Verse two says that Samballat and Gershom sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. And so they, they invite Nehemiah to stop the work. They say, hey, come, come down to the plain of Ono. And meet with us and um, I mean just the name of the place is is, oh no so it's just it almost told him what to do you know just don't go there but they they invite him to stop the work and to come down to the plane and I think here you know they may have approached him as a you know more of a friendly thing hey come down here and let's have a meeting but the bottom line was they wanted Nehemiah to come off the wall stop making progress and come have a meeting with us but notice what it says but they thought to do me harm and I would throw this out. How did Nehemiah know that? How did he know that their intention was to do him harm? I believe that we'll see in this chapter Nehemiah has discernment. Uh, In the New Testament, there's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the, the gift of the discerning of spirits. I think every church needs people that have that gift. I think every single girl needs somebody in her life that has that gift. The discerning of spirits is the ability to determine between genuine revelation from God and that which is false. It's an ability to discern whether something is from God or not. At this point here, he just discerns that, now these guys want to, they're trying to get me away from the work so they can do something to me. And he's aware of this. And later on, we're going to see that Nehemiah is able to detect a bogus prophetic word that is given to him. Um, but it's an important gift. It's something that we need in the body. You want to, if you don't have the gift of discernment, you want to identify people in your life that do have it. Um, so you can run things through them as you pray things through. Look at verse three now. It says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah says, look guys, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. And he says, why should I stop this and come down and talk to you? And as I was reading this earlier, I kept thinking of that lady who they caught doing the commercial. And she said, ain't ain't nobody got time for that. That's essentially what Nehemiah is saying. You know, I don't have time for you guys. I'm doing a great work for God. I'm building a wall. And I want anybody that's listening that's doing a work for God to know that you're doing a great work. If you took what Nehemiah is doing and you just said it by yourself, what's Nehemiah doing that's so great? Nehemiah is building a wall for God. It might not sound all glamorous and glorious, but anything that you're doing for God is a great work. If you're building a wall for God, it's a great work. If you're raising children for God, it's a great work. If you're ministering for God in some other kind of way, whatever you're doing for God, don't let anyone belittle it or make it small. It's it's a great work if it's for the Lord. If it's what God's called you to do, equipped you to do and enabled you to do, it's a great work. And you need to see it that way so that when the enemy tempts you away from it, you would respond in the same way. I'm doing a great work. And it may not be great to everybody. They, they laughed at Nehemiah earlier. They say, oh, if you build that wall, even if a fox goes up on that wall, it's going to fall down. Nehemiah saw it differently. He said, look, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. What I'm doing is such a big deal that I cannot leave it and come down and be you know, talking with you guys. I don't have time for that. As Christians, many times we can be distracted, sometimes even with good things. And I've had to learn as a pastor the difference between good things and God things. Sometimes, you know, when you look at all the, the needs around us, there's more needs than any one human being could possibly meet. And so you have to pray about what thing God has called you to do. God's called me to do this thing right here. There may be 10 other things that I could do, but this is the God thing. For me. This is the thing that God has called me to do. Don't get distracted from the God thing trying to do a bunch of good things there's something God has called you to do and you want to be faithful to do that for the Lord. I've often said when it with regard to my family, I have a wife and I have four kids that when I'm trying to juggle, you know, between ministry things and other things, many times I've had to make this decision. I deduce it to this. Um, no one else can be my wife's husband. I would not have it. Uh, no one else can be my kid's daddy. I wouldn't have that either. And so sometimes. God has called me away from ministry things where I'm like, somebody else could do that. Somebody else could speak today, but no one else can be there for my daughter. No one else could be there for my son. No one else can be that for my wife. And so I want to be the thing that I've been called to be. Um, And so we want to know the, the difference between a good thing and a God thing, because that can be a distraction sometimes for Christians. This is not even a good thing, though. These guys are calling him off the wall to do a work. And Nehemiah said, I don't have time for that. I am doing a great work. Look at verse four now. It says, so they sent to me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. So I want you to note the persistence of the enemy. He said, they came four times with the same message. And I responded the same way four times. How do you deal with the enemy when he's persisting against you in some temptation, some trial, you continue to resist? It says in the book of James, if you resist the devil, he will flee. It's a fact. So you just keep resisting. Eventually he has enough. He has to flee. If you guys remember in Matthew four, verses one through 11, when Jesus had the temptation from Satan, Satan came three times with the attack. Jesus answered three times with the word of God. Then it says, and Satan left him Uh, and angels came and ministered to him. And so as you resist the enemy, he will flee. He's persistent. And since we know the enemy is persistent, we must also be persistent, persistent in our place and our stance in God that we're going to do what God has told us. To do. So now look at what they do next. Look at verses five through seven. Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written this is what was written in the letter. It is reported among the nations, and Gershom says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you might be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So now what they do is they were unsuccessful in their earlier attempts to distract him. They come with this open letter that is getting ready to be sent to the king. We don't know who wrote it. Lots of people are saying this about you. Nehemiah, we're trying to help you is what they're saying. And it's an elaborate lie. The lie says, Nehemiah, three things. It says that he's getting ready to lead the Jews in a rebellion, which in this culture where there were kings and kingdoms and whatnot on the earth, uh, they were always trying to stop someone from starting a rebellion. And so they say, hey, the Jew, this this guy is getting ready to start a rebellion, is what they were going to tell the king. Uh, then he's going to become, he wants to become the king of the Jews, is what they say. And they say he's also appointed prophets to declare him king to let people know that a king is coming and so they say we got this open letter this is what people are saying about you you know so you want to come down and meet with us because if this gets to the king you'll be in big trouble Nehemiah And so they're turning the heat up if you will in terms of trying to get him to see the importance of what they're saying and come up off of the wall and I believe what Nehemiah does in response is an amazing example to you and me uh, of just how to deal with the strategies of, this, of the enemy as he lies, as he attacks, as you know he brings false accusations, things that just aren't accurate, they're not true. What do we do in a case like that? Verse eight, Nehemiah says, then I sent to him, so Nehemiah didn't leave, he sent a messenger. I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart, for they were all trying to make us afraid saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, Nehemiah doesn't go to them. He sends a messenger letting them know the things that you're saying are not true and you're inventing them um, in your own heart. That's the message Nehemiah sent back to him. Then he says in verse nine that they're trying to make us afraid. And I want to talk on fear for just a moment because we, we, as we read through this, we're learning the different strategies of the enemy to stop us. Fear is a powerful weapon in the tool shed of the enemy to stop the work of God. There's so many things that are probably people that have never done the thing God stirred up in their hearts to do because of fear. Uh, Maybe there are things that God has given you. God has spoken to you to do. God has moved on you many, many times to do. Um, And this is how you know it's from God. If every time you get near the Lord, every time you seek the Lord, every time you get close to God, the same thing is popping up. The same thing comes up, the same idea, the same thing starts running through your heart and you've never stepped out to do it. At some point, you got to ask yourself, why not? Why not? It would be better to attempt it and fail than it would be to never attempt the thing that God has put in your heart to do. Uh, fear is crippling. Fear keeps you from moving forward. When I was growing up, my mom my mom was very intent on just not wanting her kids to ever be bullied. And so you know, my mom, you know, she had all the rules and things. You don't let anybody bully you. You know, even if you think you're going to lose, you you, you 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 make it a fight, you know, make it dirty, throw a rock, get a stick, but don't, don't be out here getting bullied by nobody. You know, just, just because this is the thing. If anybody's grown up with seeing bullies, bullies count on people being afraid. They don't always really want to fight. Some of the best things I've seen in my life was a bully bullying someone that ended up fighting and then they, they weren't prepared for that because bullies like to use fear I was watching a video and a guy went into a convenience store, a little liquor store to rob it, and he pulled a gun out on the lady. Most people with a gun in their face would say, eh, you win. This woman, um, I don't know what she was protecting, what kind of spirit she had, but the gun was in her face and she just was swatting it and moving it. She wasn't giving up her stuff that easily. And so she swatted and moved things around and she fought this man with a gun off. And I thought, wow, I guess if you're not afraid to get shot, you can fight off somebody even with a gun. The person holding a gun is counting on you to be afraid of it so that they can make you do what they want. Fear can have power over us if we yield to it. There are things that the enemy may do to make you feel afraid. Um, Sometimes he lies to people. Oh, you can't do it. Oh, it's going to fail. Oh, it's not going to work. And and you believe the lie. You begin to fill your heart. Your heart gets filled up with fear so that you don't do what God has called you to do. Nehemiah is aware of what the enemy is trying to do here in verse 9 he says look they're just trying to make us afraid I know what they're trying to do he says they're trying to make us afraid this is what they're saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it won't be done the reason the enemy is trying to make them afraid is so they won't be able to do the work they won't be able to focus on what they've been called to do it said and this is what Nehemiah does he doesn't say anything else to them the next sentence is directed to God he said now therefore O God Strengthen my hands. Let me say this about prayer. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, we've seen this many times, these little quick short prayers. When the king asked Nehemiah, What do you want? He said, Quick prayer. Lord, said a quick prayer to the Lord of what he should ask for. Then he spoke back to the king. Um, at different junctures, when things happen, he just quickly turns to the Lord in prayer. Here he says, Man, I can tell they're trying to scare us so that our hands will be weakened. He says, Now, therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. Since since I can see they're trying to weaken my hand, God, I'm asking that you would strengthen my hand in the work. And I just want to point out to you and me, if you're listening, you're a believer, you're in a relationship with the living God. You got access to God 24-7. You can pray just like that. It can be audible. It can be in your mind. It can be in your heart. Sometimes you can be standing right in front of somebody and you don't know you're you're thinking of the answer. You can just pray in your mind. God, give me what they need to hear. Give me the right answer to this right now. Lord, just 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 right in your head, right in your mind. We have access to God 24 seven. Just like that. Nehemiah taps in to the Lord because he can. And so moving on, look at verse 10 now. It says afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. And so now this man, Shemaiah, and he gives us all his family background so we know who he is. Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, he comes to Nehemiah and this guy is a false prophet That's a secret informer to the enemy. So Nehemiah's got a guy that's supposed to be a prophet, supposed to, you know, speak the word of God, but he's been bought off by the enemies of Nehemiah. So he's just coming in close to, hey, Nehemiah, bro, I got this word from the Lord and they're going to come kill you. So you need to come with me to the temple of God and let's go hide in the temple because they're coming tonight to kill you. Now, I told you guys earlier that Nehemiah had discernment when he was able to discern at the end of verse two, that they were calling him down to the plan of, oh no, but really they meant him harm. Well, right now in this section, Nehemiah is going to be able to perceive that this guy's words are not from the Lord. Verse 12 says, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. And somehow Nehemiah, as he heard this guy's words, he just discerned that this ain't from God. This guy has been paid by Sam Ballett and Tobiah to come over here and tell me this lie. Uh, I can tell you one other reason why Nehemiah would not have fallen for this. It was spoken in the scripture very clearly that no one but the priest was to go into the temple. And so it would have been inappropriate for Nehemiah not being a priest to go into the temple. And so, you know, that would have been another reason, but he just is able to discern that this guy is lying. And again, I think that's really important because today we have people that speak on God's behalf, things that are not accurate, things that are not true, things that we can't find in scripture. One way you can, you know, you can kind of click off a false prophet right away is if the things that they're saying disagree with the written word of God. If, if, if what someone is saying is in conflict with what God has already said. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so we can put that off. But sometimes it may be that we need discernment. We need God to give us uh, discernment uh, as to what we're hearing. Is it from the Lord or is it not? And uh, I would encourage everybody here, anybody here gets a word, someone gives you some prophetic word. You want to pray that through. If it's not bearing witness with your spirit, don't receive it just because someone claiming to be a prophet gave it. And uh, so Nehemiah here, is seeing that now, look at the enemy is digging into every bag of tricks, right? The enemy says, man, this guy fears the Lord. This guy fears the Lord and he listens to the word of God. So the enemy digs into the word of God. He says, I'm gonna send a false prophet and see if I can't get him there. That's not a new trick. Satan, in Genesis, when he spoke to Eve, lied on God, twisted God's words to her. He actually said to her, God was lying. God's word wasn't true. In Matthew 4, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, He took Psalm 91 and he twisted the scripture. He took part of a verse and didn't give the whole verse, but just gave a part of the verse, but he's dealing with Jesus Christ, the living word of God. And so he was unsuccessful, but we know that's a tactic, a strategy of the Satan to take people that believe in the word and twist it. So every cult, uh, many cults use the Bible. There's a lot of false groups that use the Bible. We want to be people that are discerning and that are aware of what the Bible does teach that we don't get deceived or misled by these things. And so moving on now, verse 11, um, Nehemiah says, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And I love that. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. That first phrase, Nehemiah says, should such a man as I flee? And if I could put that in our own, our own vernacular, Nehemiah is essentially saying, what do I look like running? Like, I'm not the I'm not running from you. I'm not going to run and hide in the temple. That's not who I am. And so I, I take it that Nehemiah was a little bit rugged. Maybe he had a little hood in him. But Nehemiah said, what do I look like running? I'm not running into the temple from you. I'm not going to do it. And so here he says, look, to such a man as I flee. And who is there such as I who would flee as of all places into the temple of God where Nehemiah knows that that would be going against the word of God. And so he doesn't go for this. Nehemiah is not going to run into the temple. And here's the thing. Had he fallen for that and run to the temple, that's probably what they were going to try to catch him or get him at. But they didn't go to the temple. And so he didn't submit. He didn't give in to this lie or this temptation.
0: Thank you for joining us here today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the fascinating book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's purpose was to make sure the walls and gates of Jerusalem were built, a project that required considerable resources. But in this book, we see that resources are never a problem for God. When Nehemiah talked to the king, he not only gave him permission to go build the wall, but he sent him loaded down with all the resources he would need to finish the work. If God can do that with a pagan king, imagine what he can do with your willing heart. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. And we have a question for you. Would you like to be a part of what God is doing through this great ministry? Do you wanna be a part of God's word going out into the world? One way you can do that is through praying for us. We need all the prayer we can get, but we'd also like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Here's what you need to do. Head over to CalvaryEnglewood.org to give online or download our mobile app to give that way. Once again, that website is CalvaryEnglewood.org and you'll find a link to our mobile app right there as well. While you're there, check out the other resources we have to offer you, like archived messages or you can follow along with our daily Bible reading plan. And with that, it's time to say goodbye for now. We'll see you here again next time with more from Nehemiah on A Transforming Word.